you're probably going to hear the line on apartments of, you know, oh yeah, we just put in a ton of work. Like you're, you're going to want to look at those things that were done. Um, there's a guy in Indianapolis who tried to sell, I think it was a 13 unit. He wanted $2 million. I offered him a hundred grand. Like, well, I just did all this work. Well, almost all of it was done without permits and is going to need to be redone. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to seasoned real estate investors who want to maximize the cash flow potential in their business. We are buy and hold investors with a thousand plus properties and markets across the U.S. who bring an insider's view into the nitty gritty details of real estate investing. If you're looking to develop the mindset, teams, and systems that can dramatically build your real estate business and net worth, you're in the right place. Welcome to this episode of the Good Stewards Podcast. I'm Ryan Dossey. I'm Amanda Perkins. I'm Bill Sirius. And I'm Andrew Sirius. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast. We are going to pick up for part two of our discussion on due diligence for apartments. Uh, but first, please visit us on our website at thegoodstewards.com, download our free ebook, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and all the rest of those social media websites. But we're going to jump into the financial part of due diligence because we, we, we did a deep dive on our previous episode about the maintenance, the condition, the TLC, all those things. But there's another side of it, and that's the financial one. This is actually probably even more dangerous for investors is missing on things like tenants who aren't actually paying but appear to be paying. It's actually worse to have an apartment full of tenants who aren't paying anything and are causing all sorts of problems than to have an apartment full of no one. So the first (laughs) thing thing you want to look at uh, you want to get a, a series of documents. You preferably you want a lot of these before you even make your offer, but you at least need to get them afterwards. And that is, you need the operating statement. The operating statement is their real numbers. This is their uh, how much they put into the, how much they're uh, they're bringing in an income, how much they're spending on all their operations, uh, how much their taxes are, how much their insurance is, how much their maintenance, all those things like that, and what is their actual net income. And it's not as important what their debt service is. That's not really relevant to this. Um, because that your debt service is going to be different. So you want to look at what their, what their income has been, preferably for several years, but at least for the last year, and what their expenses have been. And I want to just interject one thing in that along with their operating statement, you should demand to see their Schedule E's or anything that they filed their tax returns with and the depreciation schedules for the property, just because sometimes operating statements can be what they'd like for their property to look like. But you want to make sure what did they report to the IRS? So, and sometimes they won't give that to you, but you should be able to be able to have that. that and event. if you don't, I think that right away you're thinking discount in your mind because if they're bringing you their income statements on, you know, a uh, piece of, of paper, napkin. yeah, that they uh, yeah have in the back pocket that they're going to hand to you, then all of a sudden you're you think this is very unprofessional well that's okay maybe that just means you're going to get a better deal on it because you you have to kind of create in your own mind what the income is uh, oftentimes this is true with people who are kind of am- amateuring it and with smaller apartments i'm talking about things or under 50 old schooling units it, like the the mom and pop types a lot of the times why we're able to get deals is we end up knowing more about their building than they do at the end of our due diligence. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones, Bill, was actually when you and I ran. Like, well, how's it going? And they like, well, we bought the minivan cash. <laughs> it was like, okay, <laughs> but what is like 
PNL, NOI, and they were just like, like, I mean, blank. They, they didn't know what we were asking. Yeah. And some people are doing all kinds of things with cash. You know, they get cash from their residents and they're putting it in their pocket. And they don't put it on their PNL. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's not going to be on the IRS paperwork. Yeah. So, <laughs> so again, it, I mean, what Andrew's talking about, due diligence is, is the term, but you go as far as you can go and then you have to uh, make make judgment calls yourself if you're dealing on that kind of a fairly unprofessional level, which is not a bad thing for you because it can mean uh, a much stronger negotiating position. Chances are if somebody has all their ducks in a row and all their docs and everything lined up, you're not getting a 10 cap. <laughs> you're getting a three or a four. <laughs> so at least that's that's been my experience. The folks who have really clean books, uh, they they get an ask top dollar. So that's another thought if you are looking at repositioning is if your books are clean, uh, the more likely you're going to be able to sell for a premium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you should have gotten their operating statement even before you made your original offer. You should never rely on a performer, which is just an estimate, and they will always be in the seller's favor. You put your own performer together to try to figure out what the estimate will be in the future. The other you thing, call those pro fakas, don't you? Yes, pro fakas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all sellers lie <laughs> all, all the time Pretty when they're much. seeking to sell. We're not cynical. Yeah. We're just real. <laughs> well, maybe we won't call it a lie. We'll call it a... I wish they they wish upon a star that their properties are performing that well. It's best case scenario with (laughs) a few more generous assumptions. Generally, other than just looking, you know, wanting to get their schedule ease and whatnot, and there's ways to backtrack this if you're, for what reason you can't, like you can try to get all of their, you can get their bills, you get, get, uh, you can call up the utility companies and see what they're paying or something like that. You can try to, you can ask for them to send copies of their bills. Uh, You can get, uh, it's not a bad idea to get uh, copies of their depo- of their uh, rental deposits if you can, especially for smaller apartments. It can be harder for bigger ones, but those uh, schedule E's are better. But if you have um, a, a fourplex or a sixplex or something like that, getting copies of the um, getting the bank statements or, or copies of of the deposit slips or something like that to prove that the money is actually going into the account. And this is just, isn't just numbers on paper. For anyone who's kind of a noob to these terms, so Schedule E is part of the IRS Form 1040, and it's going to be where they report the income or loss from rentals, royalties, S-corps, partnerships, estates, trusts. Uh, basically, it's it's not earned income. It's what the IRS views as like, quote unquote, investment income or passive income. Um, I Googled that while we were here because... Uh, wasn't familiar with the the abbreviation, but obviously I know what a 1040 is. But the the schedule E. Don't is think that you're supposed section. to mention that you're googling things while doing a podcast, but that's okay. Ah, oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, in addition to making sure that the numbers are correct, you also want to make sure that you're getting all the numbers in the right category. There are two broad categories for expenses. There are operating expenses and there are capital expenses. The difference is an operating expense is anything that is expensed for that year. So it's like if you're paying for the utilities for the last month of gas or something, that's an operating expense. If you're doing a maintenance item or something like that, like the, you know, the toilet's backed up, that's a maintenance item. That's an expense. Taxes are an expense. But items for, for things that are supposed to last for over a year, like a roof, like a driveway, like a HVAC system. These water are heater. water. Yeah. These are capital expenses. These do not go on the operating statement. They go on the balance sheet. And what that means is you don't see them when you're looking at an operating statement. 
So you want, but a lot of these expenses are recurring capex or what's called replacement reserve. Banks call it replacement reserve. Usually about two hundred fifty to four hundred dollars a unit is a, a generally approximations more for houses. But what it accounts for are these the fact that every year you're going to have to do some of this stuff. You know, maybe you don't have to do the roof for another twenty years, but you'll have to do you know four furnaces, two AC units. You're going to have to do you're going to have to repave the driveway, and you've got to you know replace a hot water heater, whatever. Every year you have some of this. You want to see their list of capital expenses for at least the last year for two reasons. One, you need to see how much they're spending on this stuff, but also you need to see whether they're correctly capitalizing things. Certain things are capitalized that are really questionable, like carpet replacement, vinyl replacement, uh, appliance. I mean, these, these you can justify this, but it's like, eh, it's kind of pushing it. And I've seen a lot of people, a lot of investors capitalize pretty much everything. And then it looks like, oh, well, their operating statement is incredible, but they're just piling up expenses that, you know, just because they go on the balance sheet, that makes the operating statement looks look better, but you can still cash out of your pocket. But you can still, sorry to interrupt you, but you can still see that because you can, you can pull their depreciation schedules that go along with their schedulees and then also look at their balance sheets from year to year if they will provide them for you or if they've kept them. But there is a way for us to verify that information, but you need to know what you're looking for. You need to take an accountant's eye view at this sort of thing. You also want to make sure it was done right. And in my experience, a lot of folks, when they choose to sell something, especially like an apartment, they've had a ton of CapEx and they, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So they're like, okay, it's, it's time to sell now. And they're trying to make something that, I mean, is literally bleeding to death, look appealing and typically trying to get top dollar for it in my experience. But if you're looking at that and you're probably going to hear the line on apartments of, you know, oh yeah, we just put in a ton of work. Like you're, you're going to want to look at those things that were done. Um, there's a guy in Indianapolis who tried to sell, I think it was a 13 unit. He wanted $2 million. I offered him a hundred grand. Like, well, I just did all this work. Well, almost all of it was done without permits and is going to need to be redone. Sold the property on the MLS for about 200. And then the guy who bought it, um, actually reached out to us for a cash offer and was like, Hey, this thing's a mess. You know, I'm looking to get 400. And it was like, yeah, no, I told the original owner I, I didn't want it. So make sure, especially if they claim there's a lot of CapEx that things like permits were pulled and stuff was done right. But that's in my experience, just kind of a red flag. Yeah. Another big uh, thing to look at is utilities that can kill a deal right there because if the utilities are generally used like it's on a boiler or there's uh you know the big question is how much utilities do the residents pay and how much utilities does the owner pay and this this can make or break a deal real real simple i would also make sure you have that verification in your purchase and sale agreement as a reason to terminate or retrade Uh, i think i've only been sued once and that's what it was over. Uh, I was going to buy a duplex as a rental property. And the seller gave us particular financials as part of my due diligence. I called the utility company and said, what do utilities run? I think the building was pulling in 900 or 1000 a month and utilities were 600 a month in winter. And he was paying all of them. Not quite the, oh, about 100 bucks that he threw out. 
Um, so when we went to terminate, he had his attorney basically try to sue us for EMD. It went away. Nothing ever came of it. But make sure when you're making offers, especially on apartments or things where you're doing due diligence in the financials, our purchase and sale agreements are super like in our favor and literally say during the inspection window, we can terminate for any reason and we are entitled to our EMD. EMD is earnest money deposit, just in case anyone is. Andrew curious. had to Google that. <laughs> uh, you, I just know no typing down here. <laughs> Andrew, it might be might be of value to describe how we how we uh, do an earnest money with an apartment and how we stretch it out, give ourselves extra time. Yeah, in our purchase and sale agreement, we basically state that for a large apartment, for a duplex, it would probably be a little bit less, but for a large apartment, we. Large apartments are usually done over 60 days, where a house is 30. And so we usually give ourselves 30 days of an inspection period. Then the money, the EMD goes hard. At that point, we it's no longer refundable. And then we allow in our in our uh, purchase sale contract the right to buy another 30 days for like if the loan or something like that is slowed down or whatever. We don't, you know, we give a like kind of to get the loan docs in place or whatever, et cetera. Always put that et cetera in there. Don't put the whatever in there. That's not legal language. <laughs> and then that allows us to put another earnest money deposit down, same as the original, and stretch the contract out another 30 days. So so it's a 90-day situation, 30, 30, 30, 30, until it goes hard, your, your earnest money deposit, another 30 to get the financing together, and another 30 just in case, which... That you can buy, quote unquote. Yeah, that you can still buy it. You know, assuming you definitely want it, you certainly don't want to be torpedoed by a bank, uh, you know, having a hard time pulling all the financial, uh, you know, the, the closing together at the last minute. And then you get X'd out of your earnest money because of what a bank did. Actually, that's happened to us before. Um, so 30, 30, 30, not a bad way to think it, about it. It's important it. to have the ability to buy that extra time because in my experience with some of these apartment folks, they can be a little bit less flexible than some of the homeowners of, you know, hey, we need another 30 days. Oh, no problem. Some of them are like, nope, your money's mine. <laughs> so <laughs> having it in writing that you can do that and it not being a question of can I have 30 days, you know, hey, I'm putting down another 5,000 closings being extended um, is is super smart if, if you don't like giving away money. <laughs> Returning to the operating statement, the next thing you want to look at is whether or not this is a cash accounting or cruel accounting statement. Most, uh, many, pretty much, I'd say virtually all small investors use cash accounting, which means whichever month the money goes out is recorded. Whatever money comes in, whichever month the money comes in, it's recorded that month. Accrual accounting is based on when the money is basically earned. So let's say you you make uh, $1,000 from a, a you know, you sell some, somebody something for $1,000, then you have an accounts receivable for $1,000. And then once they've paid it, then that account receivable turns into cash. So it's like, all, you know, your money, go, it's when your money is earned and when your money is spent, not when it leaves the account. That's cruel. The important, the most important thing here is that accrual accounting can be a bit deceptive because if stuff has not, you know, if you've received money from a tenant, it hasn't necessarily. It could be an accounts payable, like accounts uh, receivable. You are supposed to receive this this money. It doesn't mean it's like been rent paid. is due. Rent is due. Mm -hmm. That's all it means. And so you and some are not very good at charging off bad debts. Uh, we actually had a property manager a while back that would do it once a year. <laughs> and so you you incurred 
and you know a large amount of people haven't paid say your your apartment's not doing well and most of the time when you're trying to buy apartments with some sort of value add motivated seller there's going to be tenants who are paying and so if you've got a lot of bad debts they haven't been written off you might not be anywhere near uh, the income that it looks like is on that operating statement you've kind of got to work through it and make sure you make sure that the numbers there are you know all the debts all the bad debts have been paid off or figure out what they are you can find it on the balance sheet and try to reconstruct it that is probably a good summary of the operating statement and the schedule E's. And you may need to help have an accountant help you look at some of those things or somebody who's a specialist in this area. But those are the general points you want to look for. The next thing is the uh, you want to look at the rent roll and you want to get copies of all the leases. And the first thing you want to do is make sure that they line up. So in the leases, you're looking for a couple of key points. You're looking for what is the rent price? What is the deposit? What is the uh, late fee? When is the late fee charged? Uh, is it a month-to-month lease or is it a annual lease? Um, and do you have any, you know, is do they have pets? Is there pet rent? Is there pet deposit? And then any weird things in there. I've seen stuff where people like, generally you'll find this very quickly, and this is generally only with very small apartments. Um, you'll stuff like, you know, they get a rent discount for doing their own maintenance. You don't want any of that. <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big problem. <laughs> Tenants do not do good maintenance, and there's just endless arguments and liability issues. Don't settle for that. You want to make sure all those things line up with the rent roll. Sometimes you'll see like this person is paying $300. That's what their 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 lease says. The rent uh, rent roll says $500. We've had ones where like, oh yeah, we increased the rent. We just never add, you know, we never signed a new lease, never had an addendum. It's like, oh, okay, well then we're going to go with the original one. You, you buy off the operating statement, you buy off the leases. You don't buy off of their performa. You don't buy off of anything like that. Yes, you want to add value to the property or you, you want to... Uh, you know, find ways to increase the rents and all the rest of that stuff. But you buy off the operating statement. You don't buy off its potential. That, that spread is how you make your money and get a good deal. So make sure everything lines up. Make sure you're looking for what they're uh, at the rent roll and who's behind. Remember, a bad if a tenant is behind by more than a hundred or so dollars, they're probably going to be eventually get evicted. If they're behind by a full month, the odds of them staying are very low. If they're behind by more than one month, it's basically zero. So you want to look at the rent roll and also their age receivables. Age receivables is how long people who, you know, are they 30 days, zero to 30 days behind? Are they 31 to 60 days behind? Are they 61 to 90 days behind? They might not have those reports. They, they definitely should have a rent roll. If they don't have a rent roll, you're, you know, they basically have no documentation and you need a major, major discount for that. Well, and one thing to pay attention to, because this has happened to us before, um, kind of take a look at everybody's move-in dates. We had a particular deal where every most, I want to say maybe like out of 40 units, two thirds of them had moved in, uh, within two months of each other. And (laughs) then, you know, so we made the offer and then as we're getting down the line, we asked for updated rent roll and essentially like none of those two thirds of people were paying any rents. And when we dug a little bit deeper, they'd offered basically like a $200 move in special or something to that effect, just to get people in the door. Not even, I don't remember for certain bodies. Yeah. I don't know for certain if they even collected security deposits, but essentially they moved in completely unqualified people just to kind of make the building look full and that was, I mean, if we would have pulled the trigger at that point, that was going to be our problem to evict, you know, 30 people all at the same time. If you can talk to the uh, property manager, that's a key person. As a matter of fact, that was the key 
conversation I remember you and I, Amanda, had with the property manager who, as we quizzed him about his uh, policies, he said, uh, well, as long as somebody uh, hasn't had a eviction in the last year, I'm good with that. And that <laughs> wasn't our criteria. <laughs> yeah, you want to ask the manager all like what's what's the rental criteria what's their biggest problem what are the biggest maintenance issues you definitely need to talk to the property manager that should be essential and un, not negotiable a good indicator as well is if one of the tenants is also the property manager and he answers the door in a bathrobe it's probably not what you want bill, bill and i bill and i ran into that another thing i'd mention on the leases when you're going through them um make sure they're signed uh for whatever reason like you know oh yeah yeah here's the lease like well this isn't really filled out. Like this isn't yeah. this isn't real. Um, the other thing I would throw in there with the security deposits is make sure you note those. Make sure your purchase and sale agreement says security deposits are going to be transferred, and ideally, rent is getting prorated. I'd say that's mandatory that rent gets prorated, unless they're taking a discount somewhere else. You should want prorated rent. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's everything's negotiable, mm-hmm. but we always have them prorate and pass along. In my experience, a lot of landlords. Um, take security deposits and spend them. So a lot of the times they don't have it. So you want to make sure that that is pulled out of proceeds and transferred to you because otherwise, if those people decide to leave, um, especially if you're buying a building, you probably don't have before pictures. So it's pretty hard to ding security deposits when we don't know what it looked like before they got in there. So you're going to probably have to send over some security deposits. You want to make sure that's coming out of the previous owner's pocket, not out of yours. Yeah. And always remember that a lease supersedes a sale. So what is ever on the lease controls the sale. We bought a property. It wasn't a multifamily, but where um, the owner had his sister living there. And I think they had a two or three year lease kind of thing that he, he put into place. And that Basically, that uh, made a difference when we found that out, obviously, that that was going to control the sale. We had to abide by that lease. Another thing that you'll find in leases is that pay periods are often not, uh, you know, we have people pay on the first, it's late on the fifth. Uh, you know, that that all lines up for us to easily then pull the eviction lever when we have to uh, at the same time with all our properties. But Oftentimes, we'll find leases that start on the 15th that are not late for 10, 15, 20 days later. Uh, The late fees are different. All that is kind of just a a mirage of things you need to be aware of. Bill and I bought a 12 unit that was like that, and it made us setting up our systems for posting notices and scheduling evictions kind of a pain because instead of doing it once a month, it's twice a month. And the guy's lease also had things like they had a 10 day grace period and, you know, things that made it like, okay, these people basically can live there for free for a month before we can even really start the eviction process. So always check into that. And then I'm also a big fan. If you can, if somebody's on, um, a month to month or, you know, a lease has expired and gone month to month and you want to keep them, even if you're going to keep them at a month to month, try to get them on your own leases. Our leases have things like bed bug provisions, um, which if you're in the Midwest, <laughs> you've, you've experienced the pleasure of. If you're in a market that doesn't have them, congrats. Um, things like, you know, pest problems and who pays for treatments. And um, our lease really covers a lot of ground to protect us as the owner from damage that a potential occupant could do. Um, in my experience, most of the properties we purchase that have 
residents in them, their leases don't really have some of those necessary provisions. So just keep that in mind. Last thing I'll mention on this is if you are buying commercial properties, you should get an estoppel letter, which is uh, just basically you send it to the tenant and they tell you what's in their lease to make sure that it actually is the same thing. You can do those with apartments too. We don't. Some do. Um, I know Ryan knows some people who do that. Uh, that's, I think, a little arduous, but with we have commercial tenants where they're big parts of like, we're talking about office buildings or something like that, where they make up like a very large percentage. Like they're paying a month in rent. <laughs> yes, yes. Then you want to make sure that they're saying the exact same thing as the lease says. And an estoppel, Andrew, if I'm correct, that's basically a legal document that they can, they'd basically be perjuring themselves if they falsified. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly fraud to lie about what's in your lease. <laughs> and so, I, but I believe that is correct. Yes. So let's move over to third party inspections. You definitely want to get, so we don't, we don't have an inspector go through it with us on a 30 unit apartment and do every single unit. That'd be very expensive. But we generally have them look at our cup, whatever, when we do a first walkthrough, we look at everything that we have any questions about. And then we bring an inspector along. And we also usually have them look through at least one unit entirely. Maybe if you maybe, especially if you're early in your investing career, you probably want to look at at least one unit each building if they have separate buildings. But you want to look at at least one full unit, possibly a couple more. And you also want to look at any items, any major items, um, and any items that you have questions about. Uh, if the electrical panels look odd, you, de- you definitely want to have them look at the electrical panels. Um, I don't boiler think it, systems. Boiler systems are always going to be a little bit questionable, so or you awful. definitely want them to look at that. <laughs> but you want to look at the like electrical panels. You probably can't off the top of your head point out what a Federal Pacific panel looks like. Maybe you can do it with a pushmatic or whatnot, but you want to know these things. Federal Pacific panels have basically been recalled; they're utterly useless. Um, pushmatics are better, but they're not very good. Uh, you want to have them look at all those things. You definitely want to get a roof inspection because especially in apartments, those are going to be extremely expensive. You probably want to get a, a pest and dry rot inspection to look at whether or not there's uh, carpenter ants or termites, whether there's major dry rot issues and things like that. Um, and you want to look at these inspections carefully. Um, I would also throw sewer or septic yes, on there as well. You should get the sewer line scope. You should do that with houses, anything over the age of 19... 80. You should probably get anything older than that. Um, definitely get the sewer scoped and uh, make sure that the sewer line hasn't collapsed or there's no, you know, root intrusion or there whatever. might be root intrusions. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to replace them. So you probably want to be there when the plumber is looking at them. If there's just some roots here and there, they might be like, oh, yeah, you should probably just replace it to be safe. No, you can probably scope that out, but you need to know, like, hey, this might be something you need to do fairly regularly. But those are great for retrading. Yes, hey, yes absolutely. <laughs> your, your sewer system is full of roots, even if we're not worried about it. Inspections are actually the best thing for retrading. If you can point, hey, look at this inspection. <laughs> report says there are carpenter ants in building three or or there's uh you know you've you've got bed bugs or bed bugs you've got federal pacific electrical dry rot dry rot issues uh all sorts of things the best thing to point to other than you know your rent roll doesn't actually match up with the leases is the inspection reports they're very good for retrading but you definitely want to especially new investors you definitely want to have a a third-party inspector at least look at all the key systems as well as at least a couple at least one but probably a couple units to make sure you get a second set of eyes on it who are familiar who are who are professionals that do this all the time I would also ex- say uh, special attention on flat roofs oh yeah absolutely flat roofs are just particularly questionable Horrible. and also particularly expensive <laughs> um, they go out quicker they have more problems I don't they shouldn't exist uh, but <laughs> And you want you want to make sure just, in just flex seal it. It's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, absolutely. 
On the third-party inspections, I would also try to see the units they don't want you to see. Because uh, if you say, hey, show me one per building, I mean, I know what I would do. They're going to see my best one in each of those buildings, right? Well, you need to walk every single unit. Yeah, by the time, before you pull yeah. the trigger, I would say you walk every unit. Every Absolutely, unit. but I, I would particularly push the third-party inspector into the units that they initially didn't want to show. Because those are, you know, that may be the unit that like, well, it leaks in the corner or, or, or what have you. Or so, the units that you noted when you were walking each unit were the worst. Correct. That, that, that would definitely yeah. be true. I, I'd agree with that completely. Especially if there's like, uh, if there's something you couldn't see or like you couldn't get into a room. Uh, we, we get a lot of that of like, oh, you know, like the, the kids sleeping and it's like, no, the roof caved in in that room. Like, come on. Um, so just I would trust hope that but even verify. a newbie doesn't need a, a roof inspector to tell them that the roof caved in. But um, <laughs> <laughs> once you have all this stuff gathered, you have your from the previous episode, your walk through all of your notes on on the repairs. Do they align with your with your uh, expectations up front. Once you have all of your financial analysis, your lease analysis, your rent roll analysis, have you looked at their tax returns or their at least their you know their bank deposits, whatever you can. Um, after you've looked at your third party inspections, your inspector, your roof inspector, other specialists, phase one. Once you've gotten all those third party inspections and as much analysis as you can, as uh, at least on the financial side, at this point. You want to get that all done in the first 30 days, assuming you have a contract that's 30 days until it goes, the money goes, your earnest money goes hard. And then you need to make a decision. And there's two ways to do this wrong. The first one is to just go in and assume, like, I plan on retrading right from the beginning, no matter what. I'm going to find anything I can to just keep negotiating this. You will sooner or later get the reputation of kind of a scumbag. Being a retrader. Yeah, a retrader. <laughs> this guy's a retrader. And uh, if you're going to be in a, in a big commercial space, you're going to get that reputation. It doesn't mean you don't retrade. It just means don't go in planning to. The second one is to have that inertia, that 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 uh, comp, that you know, going through the process of due diligence with a confirmation bias. I'm trying to prove that this property is what I yeah, thought. Don't try it was. to sell yourself on yeah. it. <laughs> you don't want to have this sunny optimism or whatever. You want to go in as neutral and and as. Uh, detached and objective as possible like we've even had you know worked around like this sort of uh, devil's advocate where we make a case what is our case for not buying this property um or what is the case and then all so that that's and if it just doesn't make any sense if it's way out there maybe it's just worth backing out well, getting your and one back. thing is once you've been working on something for so long you feel a certain sense of emotional investment in it and so you end up trying to talk yourself into it when all of those red flags are saying, don't do it. But it's like, oh, but you know, like I've invested in the inspectors and I've got the phase one and I've done this. Those were all reasons for you to not pull the trigger if you found things that, you know, you didn't like. Those are not things for you to say, I already spent this money, so I'm going to keep going forward. You know, that it's that that takes a really, it takes a strong person to walk away from a situation that they need to walk away from. So it is good. Like Andrew was saying to like play devil's advocate, talk to other people about it. And if, you know, if you're hearing, uh, uh, you know, you're laying all this stuff out and you're, you know, and somebody was saying, don't do it, don't do it. And you're like, Oh, but it was $10,000. Well, that $10,000 could turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars of loss. And you were shown all the signs for the reason to not move forward and you moved forward. So 
you're looking for reasons to not pull the trigger or else for reasons to get a good discount. We all want to be investors, but part of being an investor is buying deals that you can make money on, not just buying deals. Your best (laughs) deals are often the ones you don't buy. That's exactly right. And Andrew, you have a really good uh, mindset in going into a negotiation about setting up the seller uh, in terms of this is what I'm expecting to see. And if I see this, there'll be no retrading. But if I don't see that, then there will be retrade. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I really I, like it. Oh, your, I include in my LOI what my assumptions are. What's about, an LOI? Letter of intent. Which okay. is what you send to You do that before contract with large, larger purchases because larger purchases have more complicated contracts. So this is basically, these are the terms we're offering. Do you accept them? Would you accept them in principle? And so ours, you know, I, I list out what I think the occupancy is, what I think the economic occupancy is, what I think the, the rehab is, et cetera, the condition. We had a 72-unit apartment that we were assuming would be around, I don't know, I think it was around 200000 if I remember correctly. And it ended up being our, our new update was more like $450,000. Plus, we thought the occupancy was 90%. They said it got leased up to 90%. It was at 77%, I think. But it was leased up to 90%, but they didn't include the people moving out. So it was actually back to 77% when we started due diligence. So when we looked at, hey, this is almost 15% lower occupancy, it's got... Um, it's got much more rehab, actually has one less unit because it says 72 unit apartment complex, but no, no, two less because they, they, one was, one of their units was used for storage and one was used for the leasing office. Another thing to check on, make sure that the units use, if they're using a unit for the leasing office, you know that that's not a rentable unit that doesn't count. And when we added all that up, it just didn't make sense. And so we backed out of that one. Another one had a bit more maintenance than we expected. Um, it was older stuff. A lot of these mom and pa types, it, um, it was a 32 unit apartment. A lot of mismatched carpets, miss, you know, went to this paint store and see the, like the mistinted paint. So everything was different. And so we had that bit of an issue. We ended up deciding on that one. We would like a bit of a discount. So we asked for a retrade. We got, we ended up getting 20,000 off. It wasn't a big thing, but it's kind of like you work through those, you work through kind of figure out what is real because due diligence is all about like confirming what you thought was true. Did you confirm what you thought was true? If it's better, that's great. Just go with it. <laughs> if it's worse, then you need to say, okay, is it just a little bit worse and still makes sense? Is it quite? Is it substantially enough that we should actually ask for a discount and go back into negotiation? Or is it just so bad this is a lost cause and we need to move on? That's the decision you need to make. Well stated. I think we have pretty much hit the close to the 35 minute mark. I think that's probably enough for this episode. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We very much appreciate it. Again, go to our website, goodstewards.com. Also, look up uh, us on social media and download our free ebook. Thank you and have a great day.